You're listening to the Smoke Signals Podcast, hosted by Jake Dungan and other IBI contributors. We're talking tribe. Baseball Insider, welcoming you to this week's edition of the Smoke Signals Podcast. The last uh, Smoke Signals we'll be recording before the trade deadline, and uh, we should be back after in the aftermath of the trade deadline and recap what's happened, but for now, we're, this is our final chance to make some predictions, and joining me to uh, discuss the trade deadline and what's been going on with the Indians this week is uh, IBI Editor-in-Chief Justin Lada. Justin, how are you doing today? Doing quite well. I am about to have a three-day weekend here. I'm actually going to be out of town over the weekend, so if any big trades go down, I will not be around for them. I don't think they will, but just you know, in case they do. Right. So, uh, uh, looking ahead, looking back to what the Indians did last week, I mean, it's it, it's quite a pretty picture. I mean, four and two against the Royals and Jays. They took care of business where they needed to. Won both series. Uh, the Twins are continuing to flounder, and the Indians now find themselves two games back in the AL Central one week before the trade deadline. So um, they are within, well within striking distance. I think, you know, they're at the point where ser- being buyers is serious, should be seriously considered as long as it's done smartly, of course. But uh, where do you sit with the Indians now? Uh, with where they are a week away from the trade deadline and uh, two games out. It's because things are continuing to look better and better as this month has rolled on, and uh, they are in about the best position they can be at the deadline if they want to uh, make moves to uh, add and really solidify their roster heading into the uh, stretch run here. I still think they're going to be huge buyers. I think they're going to make a few small deals. They're definitely not going to, you know, go out and get any big names. But at the same time, what big names are out there? I mean, there's been zero trade rumors. Like the only, I mean, there hasn't been any substantial rumors. There's been like speculation about Noah Syndergaard and then, you know, some stuff on Stroman. That's about really where, where it's been. There hasn't been any big rumors. I mean, we're five, six days away, five and a half, I guess. Technically, because the train deadline is at four o'clock on Tuesday of next week or Wednesday, excuse me. I I just don't see where the big moves are going to come from. I think you'll see the Indians add maybe a a bat and a relief arm, and that's about it. And I think Trevor Bauer is probably going to stay put right now unless some crazy offer materializes. I think I think if they got the offer they really wanted for Bauer, you know, which would be what probably two. One big league ready hitter, one near big league ready hitter, and then maybe a third lesser prospect is probably my guess of what they want. I don't think they're going to get that offer. So I think they're going to hang on to them. I, don't, I just don't think you're going to see any big trades. The way where things are going, I think the deadline is going to be a dud overall. So let's uh, get into that a little later in the show, make some formal predictions and – get into some of the rumors, as few as they may be. Um, but as I said, the Indians went 4-2 and two against the Royals and Jays. They're two games back in the Central, uh, thanks to the efforts of Oscar Mercado, who continues to make a Rookie of the Year case. He had a five-hit game against the Royals last uh, Friday, and he continues to hit the ball well. He's really solidified himself in that number two spot and as the everyday center fielder. And... He's betting close to 300. I think he has a legitimate case. Um, he had Shane Bieber tossing a second shutout of the season against Toronto on Wednesday. And it was a one-hit effort. He carried a no-hitter into uh, the seventh inning. And um, then Tyler Naquin, who's been pretty hot at the plate right now, he's been sidelined due to some hamstring issues. But it uh, sounds like if all goes well, he's going to be ready to go. Uh, tonight off the bench and then maybe start tomorrow. Um, that was the update before today's game on Thursday. So we'll see what 
So we'll see how that uh, plays out and see if the Indians have to. I think Terry Francona said that if they if he's not ready to uh, be, come hit off the bench tonight or uh, start tomorrow, then they're going to have to go down some other avenues, explore what's going on, and if he needs a DL stint or IL stint or not. I don't, that's what I took from that, but we'll see how that all plays out. But uh, as far as uh, this stretch of games, you know, playing against Leicester teams, you couldn't ask for much better than what how the Indians have been playing. They've been playing very well. You know, they're not sweeping every, every series, and you could make a case that maybe they could have beaten the Royals and the Jays and that those games that they lost, but all in all, it's a great stretch for the Indians. They're taking care of business, and they're getting rewarded from it by uh, uh, climbing up in the standings, thanks to the Twins starting to flounder a little bit, and they're setting themselves themselves up well for the month of August, which will be uh, a tough stretch and a real true test of what they're made of uh, heading into that final stretch and into the playoffs. Yeah, August is, is going to be a little bit tougher for them. I mean, it's not going to be that bad. People are, like, talking about how tough the month of August is going to be compared to the Twins. Yes, the Twins' August is a little bit uh, easier than the Indians. They do play, I think, three times, four times in the month of August. The Indians and Twins go head-to-head. I'm not sure. There's, there's, there's another series in August. There's another series in um, September. But they have Houston, they have the Yankees, they have the Red Sox, the Rays. Um, those are all, you know, pretty pretty good teams. And I think they what they have the, the Mets, the Royals again, the Tigers, and that's about, I think that's about it for the month. Oh, the Angels. So their schedule isn't that difficult coming up, but it's going to get a little better. Meanwhile, the Twins gets a little bit easier, so. It isn't. It was imperative for them to have a great July because this was as easy as their schedule was going to be all year. But they got plenty of games head to head against Minnesota, and I know we said we're going to stop setting arbitrary deadlines, but I have a feeling those games against Minnesota that down the stretch are probably going to make a difference, don't you think? <laughs> I think we can safely say that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm not ready to set any more arbitrary deadlines either just because of how the season's played out and it's pretty much a fool's errand at this point but then again you get later in the season and that's where things really start to get real and um, you can really start to zero in on what is going to be meaning what games are going to be meaningful and what which aren't so that's where that that's where that all uh, plays out but yeah, those those upcoming games against the Twins are going to be very crucial because you know unless you know, the Twins uh, play well against the Indians in those series, but then absolutely stink it up against everybody else, and the Indians dominate everybody else. That's where uh, those games aren't really going to matter. So, um, and then obviously if the Indians, the flip side, if the Indians beat all the, beat the Twins in all those games and then uh, stink it up against everybody else, vice versa, that comes into play as well. But uh, that... Other than that, though, that's where those games could really be crucial. So uh, there's still a lot of games left. I mean, what is it, 10 games left against the Twins? Nine games? Yeah, I think it's 10. So, yeah, 10 games left. That's that's uh, a lot left to be decided uh, in terms of the division. So uh, two games out right now, and you know those games in August and those games against the Twins are really going to come into play here down the stretch here because you know arbitrary deadline or not these it's getting to the point in the season where you know the games are every game just becomes more meaningful and uh these crucial matchups against uh, teams like the Yankees and the Rays the Red Sox uh that's and then of course the Twins uh they definitely carry a lot more weight uh after the end of July than they do otherwise. So, um, yeah, I think it's safe to say that. But uh, uh, I wanted to uh, touch back on uh, Oscar Mercado for a second because I wanted to I wanted to get your thoughts because uh, I think we had mentioned a few weeks ago how I had brought up the idea of him making a Rookie of the Year case, and you were a little bit skeptical, if I remember right. Uh, what are your thoughts now on Mercado and in the Rookie of the Year race? I still think Brandon Lau is probably – the easy favorite in the American League. I just think he's had too good of a season 
and nobody is, is going to ignore what he's done. I think, like I said, I think all along Mercado was going to be top three, uh, without a doubt. I just, like, he didn't have a really hot stretch, and I think Mercado would have, or uh, Lau would have to cool off in the second half. He's just been really been that good. <laughs> yeah, he has been that. I agree. And how? What does that say for or the Daniel Indian? Vogelbach too. I'm sorry, Daniel Vogelbach is going to be in that conversation yeah. too. Very true, but uh, yeah, Mercado is going to be in a top three. And what does that say for the Indians? I mean, how many t- rookies of the year? I mean, I think who was it? Naquin, the last uh, rookie of the year candidate the Indians had. He was in the top three a few years ago. Now they have Oscar Mercado. Uh, nice to see them turning out this young talent and being able to see them uh, get the recognition this early on in their major league careers. It's a nice credit to the farm system and the player development uh, process they have in place. Yeah, no shock. Did, I don't remember, if I remember this right, did Bieber get any like rookie of the year votes last year, like even like in a top ten? I don't know how, how deep they go on those votes, but did he finish anywhere? Um, well, he, obviously he didn't finish in the top uh, three. I can look that up uh, and see if he got any any significant votes. So, let's see. He did not finish in the top five. They only list the top five. He did not finish in the top five. Okay, okay. So, But, I mean, you think about it, he, he had been up longer. Maybe he had a chance. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. And I know he had a little bit of a rough stretch at the beginning there. He was kind of up and down as far as his game goes. And I want to talk about Shane Bieber in a little bit here in more detail because uh, I've made some <clears throat> interesting uh, statistical, um, I don't know if discovery is the right word, but I came across <clears throat> looking at his numbers, some interesting statistical facts about what he's doing in 2019. But before we get to that, um, I wanted to mention that Corey Kluber has tossed another bullpen session, 35-pitch bullpen session on Wednesday prior to the series finale against the T- Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, he threw exclusively fastballs and change-ups, so he's not quite getting to the breaking stuff yet. Um, <clears throat> he will throw another session on Saturday. And uh, it's yet to be seen as to whether he will see an increase in pitch count or whether he will start throwing those breaking balls. Uh, Nothing was really said publicly as to what the plan is. But uh, as far as in terms of him coming out of that bullpen session, he says he feels good and everything's uh, moving in the right direction. So uh, um, as far as maybe uh, mid to late August uh, activation, he seems to be on schedule for that. Yeah, I mean, he's it, it, pretty much like he's in spring training right now. It seems like, I mean, he can't throw breaking balls, and the next time out he's going to throw a change-up, so he's just sort of in spring training mode. So I don't think you'll see him get into a, a, a rehab game until maybe second or third round. They haven't said anything, but I'm wondering if it's going to be somewhere in mid-August. That gives him about two weeks' worth of games to get, get going again, and he's going to need a lot of rehab outings. So, curious to see how much time he's going to be able to need to get back to where he was. My guess is he's probably not going to be able to come back as a full starter the way he was. I don't think going to have time, but, you know, hopefully you do see him get to a rehab start in August and he, you know, manages to get to three or, you know, maybe four or five innings towards the end of the year and they can just build him up from the uh, end of September. Yeah, so it like we've been saying, it's just a matter of monitoring how he progresses, and it's something to keep in mind as well. You know, there's only so much time left in the minor league season, so he's not going to get that much time. I mean, August is right around the corner here. He's probably going to throw another bullpen session or two before he starts rehab. So realistically, he probably only has three weeks worth of minor league games unless, you know, Columbus or Lake County goes deep in the playoffs and he can get some rehab time there. But, uh, yeah, he's only going to get a select amount of time. I mean, it should still be enough to get him uh, enough rehab outings to uh, get back to Cleveland. But, uh, Time is the clock is ticking as far as uh, the minor league season goes and how much rehab he's going to get. So uh, I mean, I'm sure the Indians are aware of that and they're timing things out based on that. But uh, it's something to keep in mind. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him go back to Arizona when he's ready 
to get close, and he goes out and does some different things. You know, he's obviously got to go out to the minor leagues and, and build his volume, but I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out to Arizona and, and they get him in a more controlled environment to be able to get him to throw, you know, some innings where he needs them and do the things he needs to without having to pitch in a minor league game. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I know that uh, I know that things are just progressing well with the uh, bullpen sessions, and uh, there haven't been any setbacks, so that's a good thing, and that's pretty much all we can say at this point. Hopefully, that continues. Um, all right, so Shane Bieber, I wanted to talk about because digging into his numbers today, and I th- I can't uh, take full credit for this. I saw this on Twitter last night. One of our uh, good friends Mike Hattery was uh, talking about Shane Bieber as a possible Cy Young contender following his uh, one-hit shutout against Toronto uh, yesterday on Wednesday as we record this. And, you know, it got me thinking, like, is Shane Bieber really a Cy Young contender or is that just, you know, because he threw a one-hit shutout? And uh, so I went through fan graphs and looked at the numbers and compared to other American League starters and – the numbers are pretty surprising, and I didn't peg him to be among the game's elite, but let's look at his ERA, which is 344 now, which is 10th in the American League. He is 6th in the American League in innings pitch at 133 and a third innings. His uh, fielding independent pitching is 317. That's 5th in the AL. He's got a uh, 5.72 strikeout-to-walk ratio. That's 4th in the AL. He's got uh, a 3.8 uh, F-war which is fourth in the AL, a 3.18 XFIP, which is third in the AL, and then finally his 0.99 whip is second in the AL. So in terms of guys who are contending for the Cy Young Award, I don't know if he's going to win it necessarily this year. I think there's uh, bigger names and possibly more deserving candidates ahead of him, but you got to include Shane Bieber after looking at these numbers. I think you got to keep him in the conversation in terms of the Cy Young race. Yeah, I think he's got a shot to finish top five. I don't know. I mean, it's really going to depend on the last two months ago. It's hard to see anybody leapfrogging uh, Garrett Cole and Charlie Morton. Those guys are both having phenomenal seasons. Uh, Garrett, Charlie Morton leads the American League or second American League in wins uh, and is second in wins above replacement. Somehow, Lance Lynn leads the American League in wins above replacement, which I don't understand. <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> no. I don't understand the formula here. He's his uh, fifth is, is three, and his home run to fly ball rate is just very weird. And how he leaves Charlie Morton, I don't know, but maybe it's the lack of walks. But yeah, Garrett Cole uh, is ahead of him. Uh, you know, even Lucas Giolito. He doesn't have as much volume as, as Bauer right now, but Lucas Giolito has a strong case, which is absolutely incredible to me. Um, Verlander, you know, Verlander's Verlander. He has a case. Guys will still look at him as a name. I think it's going to be awfully hard. Bieber would have to have, I'm not saying they're shut out, but he'd have to have some really good starts in a row, and he'd have to have some of those guys flip, I think, to really get himself into a point where it's a race. But um, he, he, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the top five votes from a couple places. Now here's a question. Did you ever see a Cy Young in Shane Bieber's future? Because I, in all honesty, didn't. I saw him being at top end a solid number three starter in the majors, um, but not much beyond that. I didn't think he he was going to be at any point among the game's elite pitchers, but yet here we are. Yeah, I think if anybody said they saw Shane Bieber getting to the point where he's on the fringes of even getting some Cy Young votes, I think you're just a liar. I mean, you and I, Mike Hattery for one, there's a lot of people out there that have re- were really hard on the, on the Shane Bieber trade. Or trade, geez, don't trade him, God. Uh, the train, I should say, going back to the last two years. They started out in Lake County even. Uh, and Corey, too, I'm sure. I think there's a lot of people who really thought he was going to be good. But I, I can't imagine anybody thought he was going to be this good. And he just developed beyond, I think, what everybody thought he could develop. I think that was just a... A lot of growth from him once he got to the major league level with the help of guys like Trevor Bauer and uh, uh, Mike Clevenger, oddly enough. It's so unbelievable of how he has developed. Would you say that due to the 
nature of how this season has gone with the injuries to Kluber, to Clevenger, Carlos Carrasco's illness, Bauer's uh, weird month of what was the month of, his month of June that was really strange with his struggles and everything that's happened would would it be um incorrect or inaccurate to say that Shane Bieber is probably the reason why the Indians rotation has held together as well as it has through all the issues with injuries and illness that it has gone through this year? Yeah, absolutely. And if you would have told me Shane Bieber was going to be the Indians' best starter coming, you know, this year in spring training, I would have said, well, they're probably not going to go anywhere. They're not going to touch the playoffs. Not because I didn't think Bieber was going to be any good, but I just thought that with guys like Kluber and Carrasco and Clevenger taking that big step last year, you thought that there's no way Shane Bieber should be the Indians' best starter. If he is, that means something bad happened, and a lot of bad things happened, but he held it together, the rest of the team held it together, and he is their, by far their most consistent pitcher this year. It's crazy. It is crazy, and uh, two shutouts. I mean, I remember last year he had a range-shortened uh, no-hitter, I think it was against Gwinnett uh, in Columbus, and... You know, we all have seen how his rapid his ascent was through the minor leagues. I mean, he pitched his way all the way up from uh, Lake County to Akron in one season, and then from Akron to Cleveland the next. And you know, we we were all enthralled by that. But to see him really develop to this level and become the starter that he has, it's really quite remarkable and a good sign for the future because you throw a rotation together for the next uh, four, three, four, five years of Clevenger, Bieber, uh, maybe Plezak, Savale. Um, that's still a pretty good rotation. I mean, I know that it, at its peak with uh, Kluber, Carrasco, Bauer, um, maybe throwing Clevenger and Tomlin. Uh, at its peak, that was probably the best rotation that we may see in our lifetimes as Indians fans. But, you know, the it's not like there's going to be a significant drop-off at, in terms of the future when it comes to starting pitching in Cleveland. No, I mean, as long as they have Bieber and Clevenger, and who knows what they can do with Rodriguez, if Carrasco's here, you know, he signed that extension, uh, he'll, he'll pitch again at some point, maybe not this year, but you still have him. Uh, he should, you know, kind of age out well. And then, yeah, the pipeline looks good. I mean, I know Tristan McKenzie hasn't uh, hasn't pitched this year, and who knows that he's going to. But I think they still have done a good job developing pitching, and I think as long as they have the guys they have in place, I think that's the better part of not trading Trevor Bauer, too. We get into this, is the impact Trevor Bauer has had on the pitchers and the staff. Um as far as, you know, Clevenger and Beaver and Sack, I mean, he's, there's no, you can't deny that he's made an impact on those couple pitchers, and who knows what he could do if he's here next season with whoever's back, I don't know, and, and or even in spring training, just talking to guys like Jeffrey Rodriguez or uh, a Cody Morris or uh, an Adam Eli Scott. Eli Morgan, yes, Adam Scott yeah, probably. Yeah, there's an area, and Aaron Savali, too. Aaron Savali had a nice start this year. Yeah, they've, it's hard to develop bases, but, you know, if Bieber's, what, 24? I think it's a good, I mean, I, I, maybe this is not true, but I think you could at least safely say there's a good chance that Bieber's not done developing. Like, there's still room for him to get better. He's 24. This is only his first full season. You would think that there's room for Bieber to grow, and if that's the case, you've got, more growth coming from Bieber, hopefully a full year of Clevenger next year doesn't get hurt, and then who knows what, what you get the rest of the way, but I think you have guys ready to take a, a step up and, and sort of take on that role and keep this pitching staff afloat, like you said. It doesn't doesn't get any better, and then, you know, Danny Salazar might come back this year. Who knows? Oh, yeah. we've. By the way, we mentioned this in the Farm Report podcast, how Salazar uh, made his next rehab appearance in Columbus and actually pitched pretty well. I think, what was it, three innings, six strikeouts, didn't allow a run. Uh, if you want to see or, or listen to our full reaction and breakdown of that, check out this week's Farm Report podcast. We won't revisit that twice, but uh, he's 
continuing to progress towards activation uh, as well over the next couple of weeks is when we should see him. So, uh, yeah, if you want to get our full reaction to that, check that out. But uh, not to take too long of a detour down the uh, prospect route, but uh, you mentioned how Tristan McKenzie has been a non-factor this year because of injury. How strange has it been that due to all the injuries, with everything that has happened with the Indians starting staff this year, all the injuries, illness, what have you, how has how remarkable has it been that the fact that Tristan McKenzie being hurt and not available all year has played little to no factor in how the season has gone for the starting pitching staff and is that really just a testament to the depth they've built up um with being able to pull guys like Plezak and Aaron Savale and Jeffrey Rodriguez up to the fact that they don't even need uh what many argue be the top Indians prospect. They they just really haven't re- required him to be healthy. I mean, it would be nice if he was healthy and available and to be able to make his major league debut. I mean, that's kind of been the theme for the Indians this year, calling up their young prospects and seeing what they're capable of. And it would have been nice to see McKenzie get his shot at that as well. But the reality is they haven't really required that he be available and healthy, which is kind of a good thing when you think about us – in terms of depth, because uh, I'm hoping that McKenzie gets healthy and he's able to uh, rebound and eventually make an impact with the big league club, of course. But it's really a, a nice uh, tip of the cap to the Indians and how they've been able to develop their starting pitching depth that uh, Tristan McKenzie has been a non-factor this year and it hasn't really uh, had that drastic an effect. Yeah, it's a real shame because the way that the depth has taken a hit or has been dipped into, I shouldn't say take a head, because they're still, you know, getting a lot of production out of all their pitchers in the organization. But consider the fact that, okay, Carrasco hasn't pitched since May, Kluber hasn't pitched since May, and uh, Clevenger missed, what, two months, three, almost three months. Uh, Plutko, remember, he started the season on the injured list. He had a, a forearm strain in spring training. So he was not ready to go out of the gate. Cody Anderson has had surgery, and he was not good when he was up. You know, he hasn't he didn't look very good. So they really didn't even want to call on Jeffrey Rodriguez, but they did. Now he's hurt. It's amazing that they've been able to plug in a Zach Plesak and an Aaron Tavali. And the way Plutko is going as we record this, I wonder if in five days from now we see Aaron Tavali for a start just to replace Plutko and uh, – until Salazar is ready to claim a spot, because I know he only gave the one home run last week after he looked bad early, but tonight's been a different story. But there's just been it's been an unbelievable effort. It, it is kind of a shame for McKenzie though, because you look at how the season's unfolded for the Indians pitching staff. He would have probably made his debut this year. I think they would have called him up. You know, I, maybe not. Maybe they wouldn't have started his 40 man or wouldn't have started his clock. Uh, maybe they weren't ready to rush him into the fire because I don't think he was probably ready this year but I don't think they also didn't plan on having Jeffrey Rodriguez pitch this year or Zach Plesak but they had to out of necessity so I wonder if McKenzie might have been in that spot instead of Plesak or uh, Savali for a game so you just give them a lot of credit for the for getting those guys ready and and for those guys themselves not you know making the moment too big I really wasn't sure Really not sure. I mean, we know that guys like Savali and, and Plesak are strike throwers, although um, Plesak's had you know some command issues, which isn't that unbelievable because his delivery is very kind of weird. But for, to be able to get those guys ready and know that they have the poise and the strike throwing ability to give themselves a chance says something about Indians' development and also the kind of guys they target when they draft. That's the other thing, too, is I think those guys, they definitely have a type in the draft, and you can see it every year. And you can see it in Jeff Ellis' mocks, because every time he, you know, says who the teams are going to draft, he's usually right on point, because they have a, they sort of have an M.O. with the guys they look for in the draft, and guys like Plesak and Savali are definitely in. You can see why they do that, because they plug in so easily. Well, yeah, and they have, tend to have a high rate of success as far as, being able to stick in the majors because, you know, not all of them might have the highest ceiling, not all of them become Shane Bieber, but, um, 
you know, you can see a Plezak sticking in the majors as a four or five starter, maybe Savale too. Um, yeah, you're gambling on a high floor, uh, maybe fit the middle and ceiling guy, ceiling guys. Uh, but who knows? Maybe out of those guys, you can find a Shane Bieber as well. So I, I definitely do like that strategy because it seems to be paying off. And um, I think most of, if not all, those guys that they're zeroing in on are all college arms too. So that seems to be part of the equation as uh, Corey and I have discussed multiple times on the Farm Report podcast. So uh, Bieber is the gold standard now as far in terms of the arms that they have really uh, honed in on in the draft. But uh, it, I don't see them uh, veering away from that anytime soon. Isn't that amazing? That's the new standard, too. Like, that's a high standard. And like we talked about, we didn't think that this was Bieber's ceiling. He might still be growing. But the fact that they have – I don't want to say they have a process because you can't just plug any pitcher into their system and do the same thing because I know, I know they, don't, they don't do the cookie-cutter approach to developing pitchers, but they at least identify a type that they know they can work with and take a couple of things where maybe they aren't strong in and, and improve them and, and improve the overall package. You know, Bieber was a, a 90-92 guy in college, and now he's you know, a, a 92-95 and Aaron Savali has picked a little bit up. Zach Plesak, the same thing, coming off Tommy John, and they've helped him develop his breaking ball. So you see these, you know, little tools these guys have, their athleticism, their, um, you know, the delivery, things they're able to do that, is, that are good, and they're just missing a tweak or two, and you bank on their work ethic, and you bank on their uh, ability to learn and pick things up, and, just kind of fit what you're going to do and the time frame you want to do it, you know, I think you, you take a shot at as many guys as you can like that as possible and, you know, you wind up with the, the Beavers and the Prefects and the Savalis. Um, and once in a while you get a guy that rises to Beavers level. I don't know if we'll see Savali or Prefect ever get there. Like you said, that that's the new standard, but, man, that's a high, high ceiling to hit. I think what Beaver did last year before he kind of hit a wall with, you know, going to the line a third time, but yeah, I think uh, that's why they target guys like Adam Scott and Cody Morris and, and Eli Morgan because they think they can, you know, help them develop additional tools around them. Yeah, and it's as long as it works, just stick to it. Don't don't fix what isn't broken, as the old adage says. So, uh, uh, moving ahead, I, I want to talk for a second about Greg Allen, who seems to be figuring things out. And, you know, we had we know we had his uh, hot streak down the stretch last year, um, but since coming back up in July this year, he's played in some limited playing time. He's only had 26 at bats this month, but in those 26 at bats, he has really made them count. He has 13 hits, including a homer, a couple doubles, a triple, seven RBIs. Um, he has a couple walks versus four strikeouts, a couple stolen bases. He's got a 500 average. Um, 581 on base, 769 slugging percentage. I mean, take those with a grain of salt at only 26 at-bats. But it's getting hard to keep him out of the lineup right now, and I know the Indians kind of have a good problem on their hands with the likes of uh, Mercado, uh, Naquin, Jordan Luplo in spots, and now Greg Allen playing well. Uh, So what do the Indians do with this outfield? Try to get Greg Allen and Tower Naquin and Oscar Mercado in the lineup, and how do they figure in Luplo and uh, Jake Bowers into the mix? Well, I mean, Naquin's dealing with the hamstring issue, so that's kind of helping Greg Allen get in the lineup right now. Obviously, Luplo plays against lefties no matter what, so he's getting a little extra Tyler Naquin at bats, I guess. But still Bowers shifting around. I think they've really just done a good job recognizing that Greg Allen probably didn't need to be in Columbus. He was doing too well, and he could help the team out. And um, I know nobody wants to – it's not popular to give Francona credit on Twitter, especially when you talk about the young guys. But, you know, he's really mixed and matched the outfield very well, and he's gotten guys into spots where he can. I think early in the year it wasn't good, you know, between Luplo and, and Naquin and, unfortunately, Onis Martin and um, – Bowers and, and Allen were all on this roster. They didn't play the guys very well. You know, Luplo was struggling to settle in. And, um, 
was kind of pigeonholed into facing just lefties, which he still kind of is, but he's sort of improved himself in that respect and handling that role. Um, but he's played Greg Allen more. You know, he's gotten him into spots where he can. You know, he's moved Jay Bowers around to help out at DH and out the outfield, and Bowers has really improved in the outfield. And, and he's found time for Greg Allen finally. I think that's really good. I think he's kind of gotten guys at bats where he can to make sure they're staying uh, prepared and, and ready to play. And Greg Allen's responded in a big way, and I'm not surprised at all. You know, he, he took off in the second half last year, too. We were wondering if it was a fluke. And then he just didn't play much in April when he was up here. You know, he had uh, 42 plate appearances between March and April. That's, that's really not a lot considering he didn't play a lot of their games during the season. They didn't have as many rainouts. And he struggled, obviously, and, and that's why the Indians don't like bringing up young kids in March and April because the cold weather really is tough for guys to hit, and it can really ruin your confidence. But, man, he's been really good since he's come back, and I'm, I'm not surprised at all, and I'm just glad they're continuing to find playing time for him. Yeah, it's definitely uh, good to see him playing well and getting those at-bats that he deserves because uh... – I mean, I've always been a Greg Allen fan. I know you have as well, Justin, uh, in his time coming up through the minors. And I'm glad to see him uh, getting that time and and playing as well as he has because, you know, there's nobody who works about as hard uh, or is a better personality for the game. I mean, I know, you know, the Indians are full of guys who have personality, Lindor being at the top of that uh, pyramid, but uh, Greg Allen is right up there, too, as far as guy, great guys for uh, the game, great guys, great teammates. Um, so glad, glad to see Allen uh, getting some playing time and being able to make an impact. So uh, looking ahead to the uh, trade deadline uh, to wrap up the show here. Um, the only rumor considering the Indians that I've seen so far uh, has been uh, John Morosi reporting that the Indians and Phillies had reportedly discussed uh, a deal that had uh, involved Trevor Bauer. Obviously, that's not a lot to take from that. You see those kind of rumors all the time, and if nothing comes of it, then nothing, nothing really. There's nothing really there to take away from it. Um, Anything uh, you read into that, um, or is it just you know being put out there just because, and there's nothing really uh, to the Indians shopping Trevor Bauer around, and this is just this is just buzz for the sake of being trade buzz. No, I think they definitely were interested in trading Trevor Bauer, and I think until they turned things around, they were doing their due diligence on seeing what offers were out there, and they're obviously still doing that. I mean. We keep hearing reports that the Padres have pretty much followed the Indians everywhere they've gone this year, which is hilarious. Uh, the Nationals, I know I, I heard this Andre Nazi Indian sideline reporter, or dugout reporter, some sideline in baseball, maybe dugout is the more appropriate word. I don't know. He's the third guy in the podcast, um, and he does his podcast with, with Zach Jackson, the AZ podcast, and he mentioned that um, the Nationals were around the Indians in a few weeks ago, or, or in Toronto, you know, I think. And last week in Lake County, there was a national scout there for a three-game series. So that was kind of interesting. But I don't know if they're really interested in Bauer. Um, but there are definitely a lot of teams. I think who was, uh, who, was, who was the other one he mentioned? Oh, Philadelphia. There were some reports of Philadelphia, too. So I don't think there's just no buzz. There. It's just buzz for the sake of buzz. I think there's definitely conversations being had. But I think the Indians are at a point where, okay, they're two games back. They have... 10 games against the Twins left and they can there are there are some pieces out there they can add at the trading deadline I think that will allow them to make small improvements to the team without giving up the prospects they want unless they get their asking price for Trevor Bauer they're not going to move him I do think they'll take the pulse of the clubhouse I think that's important to them you know they always talk about how important it is for chemistry and open communication with this team and um, letting everybody know into their process and, and always taking that into account. And Trevor Bauer is pretty adamant this is the best team chemistry he thinks the team has had since he's been here. And he's been one of the leaders this year. You know, Bauer and, and Dan Otero and um, Lindor and even Tyron Aquin at times, those guys and Jason Kipnis too have all been set up as leaders. So I don't think there's I don't think you need to trade them just to trade them. I think the rumors are out there because they're trying to get what they think is fair is, is plus 
value. I don't say fair value. I think they want to get more value back than they would be having them here. And because of their situation, they don't. They're going to sit in a spot where they're not going to sell him for. Or not, I shouldn't say sell the wrong word, but trade him for less than they think they can. They should get for him. If they were in a, a more a less advantageous spot as far as the playoffs were concerned, I think you would say see them give Bauer up for maybe maybe come down a little bit just to move him. But I think the, the, the asking price is just so sky high right now. But I think there's definitely conversations being had, and they're going to try to extract that value if it's there. Right, and uh, I see it playing out similarly to with uh, the Kluber and Bauer trade rumors from uh, the off season, and you know how the Indians were exploring. I think the Reds and the Dodgers were primary trade uh, potential trade partners, and you know, Alex Verdugo with the Dodgers was one of the uh, one of the uh, rumored prospects to be involved. Was it Nick Senzel for the Reds who was uh, one of the rumored centerpieces for the, in a proposed Reds deal, or at least as far as uh, as as far as uh, hypothesis goes, hypothetical deals. Um, I, don't, I can't remember exactly how that all played out, but I see it playing out similarly, where the Indians are just going to keep those feelers out and see what the market. Uh, market price is, and if they can, if it matches what they're asking for, um, I think that they would consider it because they know that they're heading into a trans- transitional period as far as the team goes. And in order to remain competitive, it may involve selling off a big piece to uh, get some of those pieces to remain competitive for the next several years. So, uh, again, I'm not saying it will happen, but um, I think you and I have been saying all along that if a deal, the right deal comes along, along the Indians will consider it, if not execute. So we we shall see though uh, over the next week. And again, the, the lack of trade rumors has just been astonishing, especially now that there's no uh, waiver trades this year. Uh, there has just been almost no buzz. Uh, all we've been seeing so far is who's not available. I mean, I think today the news was that Madison Bumgarner was unlikely to be traded by the Giants. Um, so that, other than that, we've seen next to nothing about any major pieces that are going to get moved. And, you know, there's always speculation about whether the Indians are going to target Nick Castellanos or, um, who, some of the other names, uh, uh, well, Joey Gallo is now off the table because he's hurt and might miss the rest of the year. Although the Rangers were unlikely to trade him anyway. Um, However, a Hunter Pence may be on the on the board, and uh, I don't know who else could be targets. I saw somebody tweet out some possible targets. It was Pence, it was uh, Castellanos, and I think Corey Dickerson was the other one. Um, so any of these low-cost bats potentially that you would look into adding low-cost short-term ads that intrigue you, whether it's Castellanos, Pence, uh, Dickerson, or somebody else? I really like Hunter Pence. I think that's a really good fit. Uh, he's having a really fantastic year after rebuilding a swing in the Dominican Republic this offseason. Uh, a lot of power. He's right-handed. Uh, is comfortable being a DH. Has a really impeccable rotation or reputation across baseball as being one of the good guys in the game and in the clubhouse. And Obviously, that's what the Indians love uh, is acquiring guys like that. Not much of a fielder uh, these days. And I think he's probably not going to cost that much in terms of prospects, uh, just because he's a, a 34-year-old on a, who came on a minor league deal. So I don't think you have to worry about that as much. And plus, the Rangers are primed to sell. I think the Rangers, they're not going to give up uh, Mike Miner at this point. It doesn't sound like they're going to trade Mike Miner, but uh, like you said, they weren't going to trade Joey Gallo either. But I think he's a, a real strong fit. I wish... I wish, this is funny, I wish Estrella Cabrera was having a better year against left-handers. He's doing okay against right. He's not having a good year overall. But it would be good for the Indians to find uh, a guy who can play infield and split some time with second base so Kipnis doesn't play against left-handers as much. Um, But Estrella's not having a good year against lefties, and he's not really having a great year overall. But uh, for me, 
something under Pence is probably the, the main target. I don't think they're going to go down the trade route again with the Tigers. Um, I, 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 maybe it's my own bias. I really don't like Nick Castellanos that much, to be honest. I think he's just uh, he's a terrible fielder. Not that Pence is any better, but I'm just underwhelmed with, with Pence or Castellanos' attitude this year in Detroit, even though I can understand why. But uh, I think Pence, for me, is, is the top target. Dickerson's okay, but he's another left-hander. I think Pence kind of fits the bill for everything. Yeah, I mean, when you lay it out like that, as far as, you know, Pence being a good clubhouse guy, he would fit the tribe because they need, if they if they would like to add another bat in the lineup, but might most likely be at DH, and Pence definitely fits that bill. And you think about the guys whom the Indians have added over the years who have helped out down the stretch at the trade deadline as far as bats go, um, you know, it's... It's uh, either guys like Jay Bruce, who I know was still in the prime of his career, and you know he was only there for a short term. Uh, then you think of guys like a Coco Crisp, and I know he wasn't a, uh, off, a mid-season addition, but uh, Jason Giambi can kind of fit that mold too. He was big down the stretch in 2013. Uh, so yeah, Hunter Pence I think kind of fits that same mold as far as if you want to add a guy who brings veteran presence, good uh, clubhouse leadership, and also can do some good things on the field, I think uh, Pence is definitely your best option if you want to check all those boxes. Yeah, and it's really not just a fluke. I'm pulling up some numbers here while we're talking. Uh, he's really rebounded in a big way this year. You know, his uh, exit velocity is way back up. Hard hit rate, even his sprint speed has been back up. Everything uh, on the stack cast really says that Pence has come back this year in a big way and everything is holding up. It's not just a flash in the pan. He is 34. It's 36. Wow. He was 36. So, yeah, I, I I think that makes the most sense to what they need right now. And like I said, that you're not they're not going to trade Nolan Jones. They're not going to trade a uh, – well, they're not going to trade McKenzie because they're pitch this year. His value is, is, is down as it's ever been. So it makes no sense to trade him now, but I don't, they're not going to dip into their top 10 prospects at this point. So you're looking at another 20 to 25 guy uh, to get a guy like Hunter Pence. And I think that's what will go. So, yeah, we we will see. Um, Pence is uh, definitely uh, an appealing target for the Indians if they decide to go that route. And he definitely, on the surface, seems like a good fit. Um, but this next week, we will find out if that comes to fruition or not, if the Indians are even looking at him. But uh, anything else? They were connected uh, to Michael Givens, uh, too. That was another thing earlier in the week. Is, uh, I think Ken Rosenthal wrote it that uh, they were interested. I know a lot of teams are interested in Michael Givens, and it seems like Baltimore uh, is ready to move Michael Givens. I, I think someone else suggested Trey Mancini, even, but. I don't think they're going to trade Trey Mancini because he's got a lot of years of control left, and I don't think anyone's going to match with the, the offer they're looking for to get up Trey Mancini, especially not the Indians. So uh, Michael Gibbons, if they're targeting a, a reliever, probably makes sense. All right, yeah, and uh, Baltimore doesn't have a lot to sell, so I would be wary of that and seeing what the asking price is. But at the same time, you know, if they can get him at a good price uh, – Baltimore is definitely there's not a lot of relievers who are going to be available too. So see what their asking price is, what the market dictates, and see if the how many teams are in need of relievers because there's as I said there's not a lot of help available or at least publicly available. So uh, Givens may command a high price, but uh, that's something we'll have to wait and see. And the, you notice the talk of uh, Brand Hand being traded has all but died at this point. So. There's that, even though he's kind of had some hiccups lately with it, been a little scary, but uh, there's been pretty much zero trade wind on, on Brad Hand. Yep. Uh, so I don't see that happening at all. I mean, I know we were kind of I'm trying to figure the... out. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out the national angle again, too. Like I said, Andre mentioned that, and then I saw a national scout at the Indian, uh, the Capitals game. I'm trying to figure that one out. I have no idea who's a match there because they're in the same boat as the Indians. They're only four or five out of the NL East and they're in first place of the first wild card in the National League. So 
that's a really really strange uh, relationship developing there. Interesting. Yeah, when you mentioned Nationals, I was like, what are what are they doing? I mean, I know that technically everybody in the National League is in that race, uh, but I don't understand uh, what their angle is uh, because you know if they you would think that they're still trending downward, and you would think that they would be in sell mode to try to recoup some kind of value uh, for the future after in the post Bryce Harper era, I should say, and you know Max Scherzer's not going to be around forever, and you know things could look pretty grim in Washington if uh, they don't start to stockpile for the future and and get things ready. Um, for that, but uh, I don't want to get too far down that path. But that is strange that you mentioned the Nationals being a potential player for uh, somebody with the Indians or being potentially buyers at all. That definitely seems strange. But uh, any other thoughts on the trade deadline? Boone? The minor league was even odder. You know what? What exactly would the Indians? If you think about, think about the Indians trading a minor leaguer to the, twi- uh, the Nationals, who what are they trading away? You know? Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, any other thoughts on the Indians with the trade deadline before we uh, get to the end of the show here? No, I mean, pretty much the same as it's been for a few weeks. I, I mean, when the Indians were kind of, what, seven out or eight out, I was kind of like, yeah, they're going to probably trade trade Bauer. I'm really 50-50 on it right now, whether it's going to happen or it's not. And I think the biggest thing for me is is the clubhouse chemistry. This team's two out, and I and I – I'm still reluctant to believe that any team is going to meet their asking price, and you know the good thing about the Indians is they're not going to, you know, back down on their asking price. They realize that Bauer, if they don't trade Bauer this week, there's a good chance they're going to trade him in December. And I think they there's a, they realize that if they have to trade him in December, they're going to get, you know, 60 cents on the dollar versus what they could get today. And I think they're smart enough to know that if they're not going to get what they're looking for today and they're in the race and they know it would affect the clubhouse in a big way, negatively possibly, I think they're smart enough to know they're probably willing to kind of eat the loss and the value come winter and see what happens this year and so they can add, even though they probably don't have enough to add to get them past a Houston or a, a Yankees in the postseason – I think you at least owe it to the franchise, given given what happened over the winter with cutting payroll. You know, you can trade him in the off you can trade Bauer in the off season, especially when Kipnis of the contract comes off the books, and you can free up money. Then, I think they at least owe it to the team right now, the way the off season went, and the position they put themselves in to try to get to the playoffs and make some noise with Trevor Bauer here. Well, for what it's worth. Uh... Zach Meisel just tweeted out a little bit ago a quote from his recent article in the Athletic, in, in the Athletic about uh, the team chemistry in Cleveland, and uh, he, he had a uh, screenshot, a quote from Bauer from the article that says that uh, for those keeping in mind uh, uh, clubhouse chemistry and, and really value that, uh, Bauer, in his own words, says that this year's team has by far quote. Quote, by far the best clubhouse chemistry we've had since my time here. So uh, just keep that in mind, and it seems like things are coming together at the right time. And he goes to do a whole thing about how it's all about getting hot at the right time and finding ways to win despite all odds and adversities. And uh, he thinks that this team has similar magic to uh, what the 2016 team did. So... Uh, you know, take that for what it's worth, and as far as clubhouse chemistry, and I'm sure the Indians are going to keep that in mind too, heading into the trade deadline, because it seems like Bauer has really not only just stepped up as a leader in terms of the pitching staff, helping guys like uh, Clevenger and Bieber and Plezak and all the pitchers out, but he's also it seems like he's a leader in the clubhouse as well, and uh, definitely nice to see that and uh the club nice to hear that about the clubhouse chemistry too because you know there were some times over the last couple of years we were wondering if the uh this the team had the same kind of fire that the 2016 team did and got to say I think this year's team has a little bit of that grit that we saw in uh 3 years ago it's hard to believe it's been that long already but uh I like what I'm seeing from this team as far as the fight they've shown this year and uh I don't know if they'll have the full mag- magical effect that 2016 team did uh, with uh, 
you know, party at Napoli's and everything like that. But, you know, they're they're in a good spot right now. Yeah, that's amazing. Like you said, three years ago, and, and the chemistry is as good as it's been. And I think that has a lot to do with, uh, you know, some of the guys stepping up that people will worry about. That they, hey, they've taken what they've learned from guys like Napoli and Encarnacion and the Andrew Millers and the Josh Tomlins, and they've taken that role on and they've stepped up into it. It's amazing that, you know, Lindor's already, you know, been in the league four years and. Jason Kipnis is the old grizzled veteran. Even though he's like what, thirty-one? Uh, it's just, it's just crazy to think that. I mean, and and for Trevor Bauer to be somewhat of a leader in the clubhouse, that's that's pretty amazing considering where he's uh, come from. Looked at as a teammate, I think you know guys have just gotten kind of used to his personality. Uh, they've gotten used to who he is, and it's really helped them. And I think that's that's kind of a I, look, I know there's a lot of mixed opinions on Trevor Bauer. I have mixed opinions on Trevor Bauer, but as far as baseball is concerned, you're talking about a guy that got shipped out of Arizona because he didn't get along with his catcher, the organization didn't like his training methods, didn't know if he was going to fit here, and, and you know, I know he's almost on his way out, but for him to become a leader at this point and, and have a hand in, in development and the friendship with Clevenger and Bieber and guys like that, that's it's one of the fun things about baseball is to see players like that make that leap, you know? Definitely is, and uh, and we said it before, Trevor Bauer is going to be the first uh, player pitching coach in baseball, and, uh, you know, I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but the trajectory is there, and it's evident based on what he's done with some of these pitchers, especially this year. So uh, if he's building that resume to try to become the first player pitching coach, maybe uh, – Either was with the Indians or with somebody else. Maybe that. Maybe he's just padding his resume for that because uh, he's definitely uh, his impact has definitely been evident in, in that regard. Yeah. Hey, I, I like, like you just talked about. I, if I were the Indians, if we could get him to sign more than one year contract, I think they should offer me pitching coach slash uh, pitching job. Yep. So. Uh, Let's get ahead. Go ahead and look ahead to next week, uh, leading up to the trade deadline. Uh, the Indians have this series against the Royals. Uh, they're currently losing two to one right now in the fifth inning. And heading into Friday, you've got Zach Plesac going up against uh, Jacob Junis. Junis uh, pitched pretty well against them last time around uh, in Cleveland, and. Then you got Clevenger going up against Glenn Sparkman on Saturday. Sunday is going to be uh, Trevor Bauer against Danny Duffy. A pretty good pitching matchup there. Uh, and then an off day on Monday before the Indians come back home and host the uh, Houston Astros. So uh, we've got some. This is what's going to really kick off that tougher stretch here, uh, heading into the very end of July and then into August. Is that Astros series? which will be a four-game set. Uh, no, I'm sorry, a, a three-game set, rather, before the Indians welcome the Angels into town on Friday. But uh, the uh, trade deadline will take place right in the middle of that series on Wednesday. So uh, we'll see how they play against the Royals, see if they can continue to play well, uh, take another series before coming home against the Astros. Uh, any thoughts on this uh, upcoming week for the Indians and then uh, the games that we'll be playing heading into the trade deadline? Yeah, I'm really curious to see if – I don't want to say if they stumble their feet. I think that they, if they stick around two or three out, I think everything's going to stay the same as far as how they decide to attack the trade deadline. But you know, if they were to hit a skid where they struggled against the – the Royals and maybe fell like, you know, five or six out, which, you know, is possible uh, before the deadline. They're off Monday, so what, for a four-game series against the Royals. If they were to fall, I, I care, I'm curious to see what would happen there. I don't think that's what's going to happen, but I'm just kind of curious to see if they've been saying for weeks now that, you know, one stretch of games was not going to change the Indians' plans one way or the other. And now that we're this close, they're this close to the Twins and uh, this close to the deadline. I'm really curious to see if that 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 theory holds up, considering they have run them down and 
if they stick with that same approach. All right, so this week we will find out, and um, like I said, hopefully they play well against the Royals and can find out a way to uh, play well against the Astros. They play well at home this year again, so uh, hopefully they're able to summon some of that uh, home home field magic to uh, play well against the Astros and maybe potentially take another series. So uh, uh, heading into uh, next week, though, Justin, anything you want to plug as far as what's coming up on the site? Ooh, that's a great question. I don't know if I'll be back at home in time Sunday to write. Um, I'm going to try to do some writing tonight and tomorrow to maybe have something ready because I'm going to be back mid-afternoon, late afternoon from camping on Sunday. I'll probably be pretty tired. Um, So maybe I'll have something ready to go Monday for Tuesday, depending on how I'm feeling. Uh, So, yeah, I think think you have... uh, a diamond in the rough coming up this week. Yes, uh, actually, I will be doing a diamond in the rough, uh, looking at uh, Tyler Freeze, who is to me still a very interesting player. I think he's had some injury issues this year that have held him back, but um, he's very intriguing in that he can hit for average. He draws a ton of walks. That guy knows how to see a baseball and. Um, he has a little bit of power. He's very diminutive in size. Uh, he's in Jose Altuve territory as far as size goes. But um, he's worked his way up to high A, played a little bit of double A ball. And I think that he could potentially factor in as a utility infield type. He's played third base. Uh, he can, I think he can play second base a little short. Um, he's athletic. He's got some speed. He can see the ball well, hit for average. So definitely interesting as far as prospects go who are uh, flying under the radar. And I'm not saying he's going to become a starter, a starting caliber player at some point or or an all-star, but definitely somebody intriguing to keep an eye on. Yeah, so I had, I had to make sure for my own uh, schedule that this week was uh, – the guy you were working on. I didn't know if I was working on Diamonds for the Rough this week, but uh, you are. So there's that, and uh, yeah, hopefully I'll have something at least by Tuesday. It depends on how my weekend goes uh, being out of town. All right, and then uh, as far as my plug, uh, check out the Farm Report podcast, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, Aaron Bracco who's been really playing well in uh, Arizona ball. And that brings me over to uh, Four Thoughts as well, which we'll post on Friday this week. And I'll have some thoughts on Aaron Brocco there. I'm also going to talk about uh, the return of James Karinchak, who is back to pitching in Columbus again after a lengthy uh, a lengthy stint on the injured list due to a hamstring and lat injury. Um, so he's back and could potentially, uh, work his way up to Cleveland at, later down the stretch this year. Um, I have some thoughts on Kai Tom. Wish he had a better first outing. Yeah, well, we'll see, uh, if he's able to rebound. I know his rehab appearances were really good in Arizona. Um, I have some thoughts on Kai Tom, who continues to play well for Columbus. And then Rob Kaminsky, who has quietly put together a really solid season in Akron and Columbus, and somebody who could be uh, a future uh, left-handed bullpen option for the Tribe, I think. Yeah, those are all interesting guys, and I'm really curious to take a look at I I like Kai Tom a lot. That's one of my guys I'm really the most curious about to see what his future holds. All right, so... uh, Watch out for that, uh, and watch out for Diamonds in the Rough. And uh, I know you have uh, three up, three down. Is that going to be coming up next week as well? Yeah, it might end up running on Tuesday, just depending on what time I get back on Sunday. But uh, that also might have some trade deadline stuff in there too. So we'll see. Depends on depends on what kind of news breaks. I may may shift into some sort of uh, uh, trade deadline focused minor league piece, depending on how things go over the weekend. All right, well, we'll look forward to all of that and uh, look forward to all this trade deadline talk, and we'll see what the Indians have up their sleeve here. Um, stay tuned for this on the site for all the breaking news, and we'll do a podcast here 
breaking it all down as well, anything that happens with the Indians. Uh, but in the meantime, be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jake D Baseball. Uh, Justin's at JL underscore baseball. You can follow the podcast account at Smoke Signals IBI and follow the uh, uh, site account at official underscore IBI for all the latest stories, links, breaking news, and so much more. Hit us up on Twitter if you have any questions about the Indians, the farm system, what our thoughts are on trade rumors. Uh, you can reach us there, and uh, we'll always engage in some good baseball discussion. Um, but in the meantime, until we reconvene here on these airwaves uh, for Justin Lada and the Smoke Signals podcast, I'm Jake Dungan, and we say to you, have a good one. For questions and comments, you can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at SmokeSignalsIBI, where you can find links to all our shows, as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening.